You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. See, it really helps to press all the buttons. When you press all the buttons, you, you find the error and the issue, and you know what? You get good sound, and I think I have now good sound. I'm pretty sure you can hear me, and that, my friends, is what we wanted. So let's, let's reboot this. Let's try this again. I'm Thomas in the box here coming to you live on a, from Podcast Detroit on a dark and gloomy Sunday afternoon, although I guess at 5 o'clock in December, that's basically what you're going to get is dark and gloomy. Thomas Biano, happy to be with you. Walt out today, so I'm flying solo, but still got plenty of news and notes to get you all caught up around the NHL and what's going on in the league so far this year. Um, as the We'll start, actually, let's go to the epicenter of all things hockey, which I, I guess is a fair thing to call Toronto, the epicenter of all things hockey, where they had a, quite a week down there in uh, Toronto. We'll start first with the news that Willie Nylander finally, um, as the deadline at 5 o'clock on the 1st was about to hit, the the Maple Leafs do get Willie Nylander signed. They do not trade him. He, they keep him in the fold for six years at $6.9 million per year. Congratulations to the Leafs for keeping him in the fold. And that's pretty, pretty much the biggest story around the NHL, even though I think going forward, this is going to end up being a really, really tough deal, and, and maybe not going forward long term, but I'm kind of concerned about Toronto and just this offseason coming up. They have a lot of money earmarked for um, just a few guys, and, and, and as, this, as they go forward, one contract's going to come off the books that I think is really going to help this team be okay, but after that, it, it, it's getting kind of... Kind of tough there in Toronto. Let's go ahead and dive in. So they got Tavares for the eleven million per year. So this is all. Let's basically looking after this year. So we're, we're talking after this year because really the big pieces or the big question marks come into the fact that right now Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner are making under a million dollars per year as restricted free agents. That number, I'm going to take a flyer and say that's going to go up. Um. I know that's a going out on kind of a limb, um, and if you can't sense the sarcasm, then I'm sorry that I'm not doing a good enough job. But obviously, big money coming their way. But the Leafs already for the 1920 season, 2019-2020 uh, season, they'll only have seven forwards under contract, and that those forwards total almost 34 million dollars. Those forwards being Tavares at 11 million. Uh, Nylander at just under seven, Marlowe at just over six, Kadri at four five, uh, Hyman at two two five, Connor Brown at two one, and then Frederick Gauthier at six hundred and seventy five thousand. Okay, well you you know that Tavares and Marner, or excuse me, Matthews and Marner, they're going to want a lot more. But let's just say seven million. Even nice round even number that adds fourteen million to your cap. That puts them at forty seven million for their forwards. All right. Well, they've got eleven million tied up in defensemen and five million tied up in net minding. So that right there, if you put all those numbers together, you put the forty seven million for the forwards. Hang on, I just want to make sure I got this right because I. I did this beforehand, and now I'm 
I want to make sure because the, the Nathan Horton contract is going to throw things off slightly because they still got him on injured reserve. But kind of like how Johan Franzen for the wings isn't really doing anything, that contract against the cap isn't really doing anything. So I just want to make sure I'm right here. So just between the, those forwards, the four, they only have four defensemen signed for next year as of right now. That would be Justin Hole, uh, Travis Dermott, Nikita Zaitsev, and uh, Morgan Riley. They're tied up $11 million for next season. And then Frederick Anderson's tied for or has five million signed up for next year. That's sixty-three million dollars. They only have, assuming again, remember that's assuming that that you get Marner and Austin. Let's just say both of them under the cap for fourteen million. That puts you at just a hair over sixty-three million on a cap that may or may not kind of at the at the rate it's been going up, roughly let's say eighty-two million. Say they're going to catch a break and say it's going to be eighty-two million dollars. So they're going to need to find uh, three cheap forwards <laughs> or three forwards to round out their t- their lineup. They're going to need to find two defensemen to round out their lineup. And they're going to need to find a backup netminder to round out their lineup, all at roughly $18 million. Six players for roughly $18 million and still be competitive and has some sort of depth at all. So. Again, because they'll have nine forwards, four defensemen, and what nine, one netminder at conservatively $63 million. Um, also, there's going to be five or three other restricted free agents in uh, Kasperi Kapanen, Andrews Johansson, and Josh Levo. And then Par Lindholm and Tyler Ennis will be unrestricted free agents. So, again, you, you, you're basically, you, you know who the forwards are going to be. Well, you know who nine of them are going to be because you, you you feel like you're not they're not going to let both they're not going to let either Marner or Matthews will walk away. So there will be the nine: Gauthier, Brown, Hyman, Kadri, Marlowe, Nylander, um, Matthews, and Marner, with Levo and Johansson and Kapanen as RFAs, Lindholm and Ennis as UFAs. Oh, by the way, one of the defensemen that's or the four defensemen assigned, as we said, Dermot, Hull, Zaitsev, and Riley. Well, Jake Gardner who's currently making a hair over $4 million and probably going to be expecting a little bit of a raise. Um, they right now make up $11 million. Let's say you can steal Gardner for $5 million. That's going to raise your defense total to $16 million. And now all of a sudden, you bring him back into the fold and you now have only five defensemen, one goaltender, and nine forwards under contract with only eh, $13 million to spare. So... I said this way back when, and if you want, go back, find the show that we did right after the signing of Patrick Marlowe. And I said, you know what? That third year is going to end up killing Toronto. And I think it really is going to be the case because if you take away that $6 million, if you just slide Marlowe's money next year into the, cap, the Marner and Matthews contract, all of a sudden, they're fine. They really are. That $6 million just opens so much up for them. But instead, they've got Marlowe. And I, and I really do wonder... Are they going to be able to, and you know, you, usually these veteran contracts have no movement clauses all the way throughout them. Um, I'm sure that th- that, that con- those contracts no different for the Maple Leafs. And, and they're going to have to find, I think, some way to trade Patrick Marlowe. I think it's the only way that that works out for them because they, right now, just... <sighs> either that or they're going to have to let one of those three go. Either Gardner or Matthews 
or um, Marner are going to have to be let go. There's just not enough money to be able to handle all those guys if if they keep Marlowe under the under the cap. Now I know, you know, you've got some youngsters potentially that are going to have to maybe make make their way up to the big club. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I just don't feel like the guys that they have right now are guys that we've heard about that are going to be really knocking on the door. Um, you know, Timothy Lilligren, uh, one of the def- uh, minor league defensemen, a young defenseman, he may make the roster and he may make it out of necessity. But outside of that, boy, this this Lee squad going to be very, very interesting. It's almost like they're moving all the chips to the center of the table this year um, because who knows what's going to happen next year. Now, so far, so good as they currently sit uh, second in the, in the Atlantic. And up until the Lightning, uh, the Lightning got a, a, a win last night against the Panthers, which a game that had not gone final uh, as of the time that the Leafs finished. The Leafs were actually sitting in first place in the Atlantic until Toronto, or excuse me, until Tampa got that victory and Buffalo right there as well, which pretty surprising, I'm sure, to everybody that we're saying that Buffalo's right there finally, but. So, so Toronto, I mean, they're in a good shape. They're in a good position this year. It's just going to be very interesting to see if they can fit all these guys under the cap next year, especially considering that Patrick Marlowe deal with one year left. What exactly is going to happen with that? But again, you, you cross bridges when you come to them. They keep Willie Nylander in the fold. They did not trade him, which I think would have been a, another real opportunity, maybe to create some cap space and bring in some other talent. But the lease get Nylander under the fold six mil six years at six point nine million per year. In addition, in addition, I should say to that, they get good news on the injuries front as Austin Matthews returned this week. He returned with three points in a five to three victory over the San Jose Sharks. Two goals and an assist in that one, and then he scored a third goal since his return in a game last night against Minnesota a victory. So. Nylander coming back, Matthews is back, and that ends up leading them as they have now won their last two games. Again, the game versus the Wild and a game versus the San Jose Sharks. San Jose, or Toronto actually in the middle of a four-game stretch, and they are 8-2 and two in their last 10 games as they were able to roll without Austin Matthews. Well, in Toronto, let's also talk a little bit about Patrick Marlowe. We've already mentioned him once. Well, he did some big things this week. He has scored. Um, is he has hit the sixteen hundred game mark? Congratulations to him. That's good for eleventh all time. Uh, what a career that Patrick Marlowe has had. Uh, most of that with the San Jose Sharks, but now moving over to Toronto, signing the big deal, and Patrick Marlowe now hits the sixteen hundredth hundred game mark, and he hits that mark. With the Toronto Maple Leafs, also he played the the Leafs played the Sharks this week. He gets a goal in that game, and Patrick Marlowe, congratulations to him. Now thirty one for thirty one, and what we're saying is he has scored game goals in all thirty one games play or against all thirty one teams in the NHL. San Jose was the last one as he did not score against the Sharks last season. He must have gotten points against Vegas in their first season in existence. Let's see if he sticks around long enough to be able to play and see if he can get points against Seattle. But getting back to that game number, the least amount of games that Patrick Marlowe has played in a season, he I mean he's kind of an Iron Man. Let's see, he's played in eighty two well, and then there was the 48 with the strike short season in 12-13. So he played 82. 
let's see here. In seventeen eighteen, he's played in every game. It looks like here, if I'm looking at this right, since two thousand nine and two thousand and ten, which I feel like that would be around more. I must be missing something. And he's played in twenty seven for the Leafs, all twenty seven for the Leafs this year. So what an Iron Man! That's how you get to sixteen hundred career games. He's now up to sixteen hundred and two. We gotta do. We gotta go to the Google here and do NHL Iron Man streak because I gotta feel like Patrick Marlowe is is making strides. Because my word, he hasn't missed a game since 2010, 2011, and that is no easy feat for anybody in the NHL. I don't care where you're playing or what you're doing. Adrian Cogliano is. Also up there. Here we go. A list of NHL players with 500 consecutive games played. I tell you, what would we? What did people do before Wikipedia? They actually had to like find stuff, go to the library, and do stuff. That that sounds terrible. Um, let's see here. It looks like Marlowe. Yep, 718, and I believe that that is a current active streak. Yeah, Keith Yandel at 724, right before him, and Phil Kessel at 702, right under him. So a couple of current Iron Man streak, three guys clumped together right there in the Iron Man streak around the NHL. But again, congratulations, Patrick Marlowe, 1,600 games, 11th all-time, and he scored against all 31 teams in the NHL. Probably the second biggest news story around the league this year was the firing of Ron Hextall, the GM of the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, what's going to happen next, kind of the the always important question or interesting question that comes as follows is what's going to happen with the current coach? Well, currently Dave Hex Hextall, the coach in Philadelphia, the owner has said that Hextall's done a decent job, which pretty much sounds more or less like a kiss of death to me over anything else, but that's where it is as of right now. There's been a ton of uh, of names floated out there as possible replacements for him. Chris Pronger was out there. The Flames GM's been out there. But as of uh, today, as of right now, there still has not been a, a hired replacement. Um, one of the, the items listed as, as possibly the kiss of death for Ron Hextall was the Braden Shen for Lurie, uh, Yuri Lutera deal, which has just not paid off. A couple of first-round draft picks included in that. I think that that would probably be the big one that he would really want to have back. Um, in addition to that, they still, you know, I, I don't know, is Brian Elliott a number one? I, I you know, that's kind of I probably the question of the day or the question of the a day of Philadelphia anyway. Is he really the number one? Um, that's probably two of his biggest mistakes while being GM of the Philadelphia Flyers. In addition to that, word came out Hextall was actually stunned by the the firing and and really it, the questions kind of around the firing is was he aggressive enough? Um, you know, the, the Flyers had, were in a cap hell situation. Hextall takes over in 2014. He digs him out of that, makes a couple of playoff appearances, has got a, a good young team on the rise, you know, Provorov and Gus Spare leading the charge defensively. And there was talk of, he was really somebody who didn't want to trade his young talent, wanted to, to kind of stay the course, be patient. Try to continue to get better with the young talent that he had, both coming up and and whatnot. And they believe that maybe that that's part of the reason why he got fired was a little bit of a, a, a not, I don't want to say a force out, but just an unwillingness to kind of bend at the will of what needed to be done. And and that's why uh, Hextall surprisingly out. He you know 
he said in an interview that he was, I mean, he would have been willing to. I mean, he wasn't necessarily against that. Now is is what he says. And and again, the perception was that he wasn't aggressive enough. But uh, I guess a little too little too late as Ron Hextel out of GM of the Philadelphia Flyers. Personally, we all probably Ron Hextall fans here in Detroit as he was the netminder that got the majority of record as the Wings won their first cup in 42 years back in 1997. Folks, I'm going to take a quick break. I'm going to step out. I'm going to come on back. We'll take a look at some other news and notes of what's going on around the NHL. You're listening to In the Box. Thank you so much for joining us on a Sunday. All righty. Welcome back in the box here. Thomas with you telling you all the news and notes from what happened around the NHL this week. And let's pick it up down in Washington where Tom Wilson, boy, the Capitals got to be happy he's back because he got kicked out of a game again. But it should also tell you something. The Caps have won seven straight since he's come back. So, you know, people laughed at that big contract that he got out there and what were the Capitals thinking and I can't believe they did this. Well, he comes back in the lineup and Washington gets hot and wins seven in a row. Um, Let's see. This is game. They're playing their 26th game right now. Wilson's suspension, I believe, was reduced. So, yeah, that winning streak pretty much coincides with Wilson's return to the lineup, which should really tell you something about how important Tom Wilson is to the Washington Capitals. And, again, gives them that perceived depth that, you know, I I like to talk about and have, have talked about frequently is that with him back in the fold, it just balances out that roster so, so good out in Washington where you put him with Ovechkin and Kuznetsov, you get Backstrom and Oshie together, Lars Eller maybe the best third-line center in the league, and you can really keep the offense going. Washington, as of, as of right now, as we said, winners of seven straight, eight and two in their last ten, and they are six up six to three right now in a game against the Devils that I believe is down to, whoa, well, NHL.com is showing two different things things what is real i'm sorry their last game i apologize that's my mistake their last game was a six to three victory over devils right now they're tied at five in a game against anaheim a game where i believe they led five to three so that's quite a turn of events there as the capitals up five to three just a few moments ago and now the ducks have tied that so we'll keep an eye on that one washington is on the power play against 704 left in that tilt but uh, it was for a hit on a uh, in the game against New Jersey again, a game that the Capitals won by a score of six to three on Friday night. Wilson coming back into the zone, um, into the defensive zone, and he he just clipped a New Jersey Devil player. I thought saw it a couple times. I thought it was the shoulder. Um, I think he doesn't get. I, I the problem is he doesn't really get the benefit of the doubt anymore. Obviously, um, considering all of the stuff <laughs> that he has done. Uh, we'll just leave it at stuff. I think that's open-ended enough. Over the course of the the last handful of seasons, um, it was winger Brett, uh, excuse me, it was winger Brett Sen, uh, Sene, who he just kind of clipped in the shoulder. I think the thought was ahead. It may, I mean, maybe I missed it and it was a head. Maybe I missed it and it was a headshot. Um, but again, watching it a couple times, it looked like it was a, a shoulder clip, and that made it uh, kind of an awkward, awkward fall for uh, Sinai. He did get booted out. Capitals do end up winning the game. They have won seven straight, but again, bad boy Tom Wilson, 
who has already been suspended for a boatload of games this season, comes back, gets suspended again, or avoided suspension on the hit, but uh, has already gotten the boot from a game in his return. But again, I think the Capitals will take it as they have won, um, have had some very good, good turnouts so far, some good wins, and have gotten hot since his return. Let's stick in Washington for a minute as Ovechkin has gotten, when that game against the Devils scored his 626th goal, that moves him to 15th all-time. He's got the next two really are in front of him to, to catch up and to move ahead to continue up the all-time scoring list in NHL history. Uh, let's see. He Oddly enough, in a game where they've scored six, he doesn't look like he's got any of them, which would you have expected that? Uh, keep scrolling, keep scrolling, keep scrolling now. In a game that they have five, he's got none. But again, they're working to the power play right now. So I'm, without even seeing it, I can tell you he's probably set up in his office trying to get one. And that is going on there. And also this week, Nicholas Backstrom became the second most points for a player in Capitals history. Congratulations and a big week for the Capitals as Nicholas Backstrom moves into second all time and the Washington Capitals points list. Also around the league, Eric Carlson returned to the Senators, or he returned to Ottawa here with the Sharks, and he really didn't want to talk about it, that's for sure. First question he asked in an interview, you see him walking in. I, I, I hope you've seen this. If you haven't, it was more or less really one of the funnier things you're going to see as he walked in to an interview and then just immediately walked right, turned around and walked right back out of it because the first question was about playing Ottawa. But he did get the standard video tribute, standing ovation that players get. Again, not really, I, I, I mean, maybe Ottawa knew that he wasn't going to resign and he said that he wasn't going to resign. So maybe it was kind of perpetrated by him. But at the end of the day, he didn't ask for it. Still had a year left on his contract. Could still be there in Ottawa right now. They deal him away to the Sharks, and then they end up getting a big 6-2 victory in return. And Ottawa, kind of a a shocking story, almost, if you will, because I mean, this is a team that I think that a lot of people thought might be historically bad, given that they traded away Hoffman, traded away Carlson. All the the upset in the locker room, the Uber story comes out. And then yet somehow, some way, Ottawa, I mean, through 27 games, 27 points. So if they end up with 82 points in 82 games, again, not playoff worthy, but you know what? Considering what I think a lot of people thought the season was going to be in Ottawa, that ain't bad at all for the Sens. Other news around the NHL, more quick hitting stuff here, more or less. The Lightning ended the Sabres 10 game winning streak last night as this, uh, or excuse me, two nights ago and since the Sabres have lost again, as they lost to Florida last night. So the Sabres had a 10-game winning streak going. One of the f- it's, it's tough to get to double digits if you, if you look around. It, it, winning streaks happen a lot in the NHL, but when you get to that double-digit mark, you've done something special. But back-to-back defeats at the hands of the Sabres, one of those in overtime, um, a 3-2 loss to Florida on the November 30th was their last time out. Their next time out, they are in Nashville on December 3rd. We'll get to the Preds in just a few moments, but the Lightning able to end the Sabre streak at 10 straight. Meanwhile, Artemi Panarin was in the news this week as he says that he's going to get with his agent to discuss business, but that doesn't include the contract. 
So Panarin and Bobrovsky scheduled to be free agents in Columbus. Columbus having a, a solid year so far um, as they are sitting right behind Washington in that division. In that Eastern, the Metropolitan Eastern Division. And how about this? Anaheim has scored again to take a 6-5 to five lead over the Washington Capitals. Three goals given up by the Caps here as their seven-game winning streak is in jeopardy. But, um, which would obviously help as uh, Columbus continues to look to climb in that division. And Panarin, though, to discuss business with his agent, what he may or may not want to do, as Columbus has no games from January 20th to the 29th as it buffers the All-Star break and their bye week. So in that nine-day stretch, he's going to have a conversation with his agent on what he wants to do going forward as potentially maybe looking for a trade, trade partners, who he's going to accept trades to with possible moves uh, in and out for the Columbus forward. And Seattle, some news going on there as well. The city of Seattle expects Key Arena to be ready for the 2020 season. That's where the old Supersonics used to play was Key Arena. It looks like they have it up and they're trying to get it up and ready to go for the 2020 season. And the NHL has said that if and when, which I believe there's still a it's more when than if but i don't think it's a hundred percent done deal it's at 99.9 still but the idea for divisions would be to send arizona to the central and then obviously seattle would go into the pacific is what the nhl is thinking at this point in the game let's talk injuries for a moment as we will head to nashville and i tell you the 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 predators are have got to be thinking that they are snake bit because well they're snake bit they have they lose this week alone they lose um Kyle Turris heads to the IR joining PK Subban and Magnus are excuse me again I did the Magnus Arvidsson last thing last week thing uh Arvidsson and Subban already on the IR and then. <laughs> Later in the week, Philip Forsberg gets, he's out with a hand injury. He's going to miss four to six weeks. Just a tough, tough go for the Nashville Predators. As oddly enough and crazily enough, if if you believe it, as, as time winds down in that game between the Caps and the Ducks, keeping an eye on that one, final 30 seconds and still a 6-5 game. Um, the Preds still, though, finding a way to stay up top in the Western Conference Central Division, which is quite impressive considering they're playing roughly without for their best players. And really one of the main reasons why they've been able to stay there, the goaltending of uh, Pika Rene, who at this point, some are saying could be the leader early on in, I was going to say Heisman, in Vesna voting. As the league's best goaltender, they got a 5-2 victory back in their last time out in a game against Chicago. They're only 5-5 five and five in their last 10, but again, 37 points in 27 games. Colorado behind them, 26 in games played in 35 points. So Colorado right there, Winnipeg with 25 and 32. So they're also, with two games in hand, they're five points behind. So they're going to be coming on strong as well. But Nashville still currently right now finding a way to hang in there atop the Central Division. Without really probably two-thirds of their top line, their second line center, and one of their four grade-A defensemen. Just keep on doing it, Nashville. Just keep on keeping on. How about a former Pred returning to the lineup? Shea Weber, who I think always was 
basically a year after his last game, first game since December of 17, he comes back and returns. Uh, it ended up being in a loss as Montreal lost to Carolina. Curtis McElhinney making 48 saves in that game to spoil the return of Shea Weber. But currently Montreal sitting in a playoff position right now, and they get Shea Weber back into their lineup. Also back into the lineup, some other guys that have returned for their teams. Uh, Brock Bozer back after missing 11 games for the Canucks. Um, Vancouver struggled mightily, mightily since he's been gone. Um, And wait a minute, just trying to see here. Nashville, do we get that final in Washington yet? Well, that's reloading. Let's take a look and let's continue on the train of thought we were at. Um, Vancouver, who actually led their division, or at least were in in the top three in the Pacific, have now fallen to the sixth spot of the wildcard chase. So the top two get wildcards. They're currently at six as they have gone one, eight and one in their last 10. I know they had a seven game losing streak in there. So the injury to Brock Bowser really kind of handcuffed this team. What they, the, the early season success, obviously they still have Elias Pedersen and uh, he's pretty good, but with Bowser back in the lineup, they're going to have to try to get some strings, some wins together as they are currently sitting uh, well out of the playoff picture at this point in the regular season. Plenty of time left though. Although, you know, the, the, the always popular Thanksgiving, um, stat of where you are at Thanksgiving. We're now after Thanksgiving and they are four spots out of a playoff spot. Jonathan quick is also returns to the Los Angeles Kings after missing 12 games, a 12 game stint on IR. Probably not really going to make much of a difference as the Kings still currently sit as the worst team in the Western Conference. Only 19 points in 26 games, a minus 26 goal differential, and they are only four and six in their last 10. Hard to see them making a run even with Quick coming back, but he does return to the lineup. And with his return, of course, somebody's got to go right back out. And Ilya Kovalchuk just had ankle surgery. He'll miss the next four to six weeks himself. So one step forward, two steps backwards for the Los Angeles Kings. In addition, another big injury around the league here. Dustin Bufflin is headed to IR. Uh, He got a concussion. Uh, That's what he's headed to the IR for, I should say, in a concussion with a collision with Jamie Olasek. Uh, Alexiak, I should say, of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Now, I watched the collision a couple times. It didn't look like he was contacted in the head. Um, he first of all, he initiated the 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 hit, and secondly, um, it didn't look like much of it in terms of co- collision to the head, but just one of those collisions that must have been jarring because he ended up. And if you watch the clip. And see how he kind of skates off after the fact? It does not look good at all, as he is really looks dazed and confused trying to get to the bench. Oddly enough, he did return in that game, which you kind of wonder how that's going to happen, how that happens with all the player safety issues. But he did return in that game, but headed to IR as the Jets, too, were really starting to get warm. He ends up, though, going to miss significant time. We, well, could miss significant time. We hope not. As um, Dustin Bufflin out for Winnipeg as he heads to the IR. Again, just to finish the thought, two, Washington did officially lose that game 6-5 to the Anaheim Ducks. Anaheim with three in the third. 
as Washington now has their seven-game winning streak snapped with that loss. Tom Wilson did get on the score sheet in that game. All right, we're through the industries. Let's talk milestones and big records here. Uh, how about this? Uh, Antti Rantanen hit the 40-point mark in 24 games, 10 goals, 30 assists, 40 points. That Avs top line, it's it's dominant. Um, no, can't use any less terms than just strict, strictly and completely dominant. Um, with Landeskog and McKinnon, they have Chicago or Colorado, as we mentioned just a few minutes ago, just one spot out of the top spot in the central as they are chasing down the very injury depleted Nashville Predators. A good couple of weeks for Patrick Line. Boy, I tell you, he uh, really good weeks. First of all, this week, five goals in a game for Line as they were in an eight to four victory over St. Louis. That was actually back on November 24th. Later in the week, he would score his 100th goal in a game against Chicago. Patrick Line continues to run up the scores. Then he was one of the three stars of last week with 11 total goals in four games. I believe he's got 12 in his last six. So as if that wasn't enough, he also got the NHL's top star for November. 18 goals, one assist, 19 points in 12 games, 7-4-1 and one for the Jets. Patrick Line just setting all sorts of records on high for the Winnipeg Jets and maybe not necessarily setting records, but winning accolades, which, you know, for what they are worth anyway, just a hot, hot week uh, or month of November for Patrick Laine. Let's continue with the actual three stars of last week. Second on that list was Marc-Andre Fleury, who got thirty-one or 81 of 83 shots and a .65 goals against average in three wins for the Vegas Golden Knights. And Nikita Kucherov, two goals, seven assists, nine points in four games for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Meanwhile, for the rest of the month of the November as a whole, Nathan McKinnon got the second star of the month, nine goals, 14 assists, 23 points in 14 games. He helped lead the Avs to an 8-3-3 record overall. And the aforementioned Marc-Andre Fleury, nine wins, four shutouts, and the team went 9-6 and six in the month of November, being the third star of the month. Finally got some roster moves we're going to use to end this first hour with. Trades Perlini and Strom headed to the, uh, to the Chicago for Nick Schmaltz. Arizona's first pick of the 2014 and 2015 draft. That Strom pick was sandwiched between Line, McDavid, and Marner. They got Strom at three. Oof. Probably not really happy about that. And wishing they would have gone a different route, but it is what it is. Um, he's headed to Chicago, did score in his first game with Chicago. Chicago picks up two forwards. As you can bet, Perlini and Strom will probably be pretty high on their depth chart as Chicago continues to try to find bodies that can score with them. They currently, you know, they had the good start. I think they were five, six and one. I want to say coming out of the gate, uh, or excuse me, five, one and one coming out of their gate in the first six, but Chicago kind of fallen on hard times since then they did get Corey Crawford back, but they are currently, uh, 
sitting at 9-13-5, and 23 points in 27 games played. They continue just to shake up their roster, shake up their roster. I'm sorry, I said line A. I meant Jack Eichel was second, Strom third, and Marner fourth in that draft. I beg your pardon. Um, so they got to be hoping that they can get some things together there in um, Chicago as they try to continue to retool their roster on the fly. Um, and it's kind of been the Arizona Blackhawks is that if, as uh, Stro- or Schmaltz, I should say, will join Vinny Hunter-Strosha, Richard Panic, and Nicholas Chalmerson down in the desert, the fourth Blackhawk player down in Arizona now. How about this? Montreal wasting more money. They put they gave Kyle Alsner or Carl Alsner a five year twenty-three point one two five million dollar deal, and he was sent down on waivers with the return of Shea Weber. That is starting to look like a not very good contract there. Carolina also kind of showing a not very good contract as they waived Scott Darling, who I believe actually cleared waivers and is headed down to Charlotte. The Arizona Coyotes claimed Calvert. Uh, Calvin Pickard off of waivers as they add to their goaltending crop to back up Antti Rantanen. Impossible trade conversation. St. Louis was in Detroit this week, maybe eyeballing Jimmy Howard as they are supposedly considering trading for the Red Wing netminder. Ken Holland has come out and said in an article this week that he would be looking for at least a number one draft pick for Jimmy Howard, which if they can do that, uh, again, I, Ken Holland just, uh, has he won you back yet? <laughs> we'll get in the second hour. We'll, we'll get to how, how these Red Wings are doing. But uh, I tell you, that ain't bad right there, being able to swing the second pick for Jimmy Howard or being able to swing a first-round pick for Jimmy Howard if that deal should happen in St. Louis currently looking at the netminder. And Ottawa, or last but not least here in this first hour, the Edmonton Oilers continue to update and retool their roster on the fly like the Blackhawks. They claimed um, Zoykoff from waivers from Carolina. This after they have added Ryan Spooner off waivers. I believe Spooner was claimed off waivers from New York earlier in the week. Uh, I feel like and I and I would be interested to see if I could actually find this or, or search this somehow, but I feel like somehow, some way uh, you are looking at a possible scenario where the top guys, the or I should say the top, um, the most signed team, teams picking guys off of the waivers. I, I, it just seems like every month <laughs> at, at worst, the, the Oilers are picking guys off of waivers, trying to retool their roster, trying to get the right group of guys into the roster and they still currently sit outside of a playoff spot in 26 games they have 28 points one behind Vegas and two by, or excuse me I should say two behind Minnesota for the second wild card spot three behind Dallas for the first wild card spot and one behind San Jose for third in the Pacific so not out of it by any stretch but still they continue to retool their roster on the fly Alrighty, folks, that gets you up to date with what's going on around the league here in our first hour. When we come back, we'll talk about what our Detroit Red Wings did during this week, this past week, where they again pull off an impressive week going two and one. Right? Yes, two and one this week as they continue to stay in the playoff picture, shockingly so, in the NHL's Eastern Conference. We're going to step aside. We're coming back in the box. Stay tuned. 
But we're not gone. We're back. We're in the box. I'm Thomas, flying solo today. Catching up on all the latest news and notes from around the NHL. We took a look around the league in the first half of the show. Let's go ahead and bring it home for the second half of the show as we take a look at how the Detroit Red Wings fared this week. They did have a 2-1 and week. And again, played fairly well this week. They continue to kind of hang in that playoff picture. Really, that's not a joke. <laughs> Currently, they sit uh, right now two points behind Montreal, who has the second wild card spot in the Eastern Conference. They're one point behind Carolina in the Rangers, who they'd have to jump. Carolina has a game in hand on Detroit, while the Rangers have, while the Wings have a game on in hand on the Rangers. Detroit six three and one in their last ten. Again, pretty respectable, and but a big tough challenge coming up tonight in about an hour as they will drop the puck at Little Caesars Arena against the Colorado Avalanche. But let's talk about what they did this week. Week started rough, and well, really. It started rough very, very early in the week, very, very early in the game, too, as a three-goal first period would put the Columbus Blue Jackets up in their appearance at Little Caesars Arena. They would lead 3 nothing after one. Pierre-Luc Dubois with a just beautiful, beautiful goal to start the scoring. His 11th of the season came at the 734 mark of period number one, assisted Panarin and Atkinson. And the Jackets were off and running. At the 9.51 mark of period number one, Josh Anderson would score from Boone Jenner. Josh Anderson's 11th of the year, and it was 2-0 Jackets. Artemi Panarin would find the back of the net with his sixth goal of the year from Morensky and the aforementioned Anderson at 16.04. That was a power play goal, and you're going to hear that term a lot. Power play goal. Detroit's penalty kill has been really bad, really bad the last few games, last few weeks, really. And... Nash or excuse me, the Jackets were on top of Detroit three to nothing with twenty in the books. And that, here's what I think: what most people kind of got out of the loss, um, or what I was seeing a lot going around on social media. You know what? Team doesn't quit, and that's very, very important. Not only for the team, but for the head coach Jeff Blashill. You know, I I, I don't know what what's going to happen with him at the end of the season, but the fact that this team will keep fighting, I think, means an awful lot. It would start in the second period. Gustav Nyquist, just 44 seconds in, with one of the wildest redirections you're going to see, was able to score from DeKaiser and Manta. I believe DeKaiser let the shot go on a redirection by Nyquist, kind of pop-flied end over end and ended up into the back of the net. His third of the year, DeKaiser's fifth assist, Manta's fifth assist, and it was 3-1. to one. Marcus Nudevara would score his third from Ryan Murray and Hannah Kainanen, would get his third assist, 5.02 of the second, and Boone Jenner would get his fifth from Murray and Felino. Murray's 12th assist, Felino's ninth, and at 6.40 of period number two, the route appeared to be on. It was four, or excuse me, five to one Blue Jackets. But, well, Detroit not done yet. Mike Green at the 8.05 mark, quick response by Detroit, make it a 5-2 game, Green's second of the year, and then really... Detroit's personal, if not league-wide, Detroit's personal um, rookie of the year. Dennis Shalowski would get his fourth on the power play, power play from Nielsen and Vanek before the end of the second period, and Detroit was back in it, 5-3, to three, going off into the locker room after two periods. In period number three, early on again, 39 seconds in, Anthony Manta gets his eighth from Larkin, his 12th assist, Nielsen's 14th, 
and Detroit had cut the lead to one, five to four. An interesting waved off goal, though, would kind of haunt the wings. I believe it came at this point. No, 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 no. Hold, hold that thought. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. It was at the five, four point where uh, the Dubois goal, his 12th from Savard and Panarin's 20th assist at the 334 mark. Kind of thought you might get an intent to blow the whistle, something that for somehow, some way has just been constantly, constantly, constantly a thing that for playoff years and years and years always seemed to have an intent to blow the whistle issue every playoff season. Detroit probably felt like they should have gotten one here off a mad scramble in front of Jonathan Bernier, who would replace Jimmy Howard, who maybe had one of his toughest games of the year, at least numbers-wise. But the goal was allowed to stand. And with the goal standing, Columbus had reopened their two-goal lead 6-4. to four. Um, Again, just it was kind of just a weird sort of net-mouth scramble. Um, on a play, puck bouncing around in front of the net. Pull it up here. I want to be able to accurately tell you. So it's a 5-4 game. Shots 26-25 at this point. So Detroit, it's not like they're being terribly outshot. Again, shots aren't always most indicative of who is who's, you know, the outplaying of it. But still, as we see a shot there, it was loose in front. Referee waved it off. You could see him moving the whistle to his mouth. This my, my computer froze right as you can see the referee in the background. And he does wave it off, as a matter of fact, emphatically, immediately, um, which I don't know how you reverse an intent to blow the whistle call, but the referees did. That goal was allowed to stand, and it was a 6-5, to five, or excuse me, a 6-4 to four lead at that point. Once again, though, after... Being down by four, cutting it to one, falling back behind by two, six to four. Detroit again would answer. And again, the guy that you want to be heating up would score the goal. Anthony Manta for Detroit to make it a six to five game. Late in that third period, cutting the lead to one. As again, the computer freezes. <laughs> uh, this is what to, that little uh, too much relying on the internet will cause, even in situations like this where it seems to be okay to rely on the internet for stuff. Um, it's not because the internet will break on you right when you want it to work the most. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. I love it. Nope, there we go. Okay, we're, we're, we're up now. I, I just want to be able to tell you who assisted on the Mantha goal. That's all I want to be able to do. I mean, I don't, I don't have high high dreams here. Just, just, just the little things, like you know, telling you assists on goals. I don't think that that, that that's crazy. As I'm still looking, one moment, please. Live radio. This is the wonderful thing of live podcasts and all that fun stuff. Here we go. Finally, hey. Uh, no, hey, no, no, stats, matchup, here we go, yay, got it, Mantha's ninth would come at 1748, if you didn't uh, turn off your computer, you're still with us, you know that Mantha would get his ninth from Daly and Chalowski at 1748, Detroit back within one, but Seth Jones would get his third in an empty net from Pierre Dubois at 1829, less than a minute later, and Columbus would hang on to get the big 7-4 to four victory 
or seven to five victory against Detroit at Little Caesars Arena. Shots ended up being perfect, thirty-two, thirty-two each way. Nash or Columbus. I don't know why I keep doing. Wanted to call him Columbus. That's pretty great, huh? Nash <laughs> again. Columbus, the Blue Jackets. Columbus Blue Jackets. There we go. Columbus would end up out face-offing, which I'm making a word. Detroit, 53% to 47%. Power play, Columbus was one for four, while Detroit was one for three. Hits, Detroit out-hit Columbus, 23-16. Blocks, Detroit out-block Columbus, 6-5. But giveaways, Detroit out-gave away. Another word maybe made up there. 18-8, as the Wings got to be better with the puck. Big night for Artemi Panarin, a goal, two assists, three-point night for him. Anderson with two points, Dubois with two goals and an assist. Um, no forward for the Blue Jackets. Actually, check that. One forward for the Blue Jackets playing over 20 minutes. That was Nick Felino playing 20-46. Everybody else pretty much in that 10-20 to 20 range, which we like to cons- uh, consider pretty good balance for a team. The one exception to that, uh, Hannah Kainanen was at 9.58. Meanwhile, Seth Jones logging a ton of time with Zach Wierenski. Both of those guys were well over 24 minutes of ice time. 20 minutes for Ryan Murray. Uh, Nudavara had 17.16. Savard with 15 even, or 15, a hair over 15, while Harrington, Scott Harrington, played 10.29 for the visitors. Sergey Bobrovsky got 27 of 32 Red Wing shots. Meanwhile, for Detroit, Again, they had three guys below 10 minutes as De La Rose had 8.17, Ferk was 7.35, and Rasmussen only played 9.57. Uh, Dylan Larkin playing 23.20 a night. I or, or can't even argue with it. Dill, I'm perfectly fine with it. Um, approaching that McDavid ice time is Dylan Larkin. Anthony Mantha with two goals and an assist. Ten shots on goal. That's what you want to heat hear and see from one of your shooters. Larkin had five. Athanasiu with a quiet night. He only played 14-02, but again, Larkin, big minutes. Nielsen and Glendening um, also over 15. Nyquist and Ablicator over 15. So balance line a little bit on the low end for Athanasiu. Detroit dressing the sixth defenseman. Uh, big minutes for Danny DeKaiser as he played 23, as did Mike Green. On the low end, Dennis Chalowski only saw 14-05 in the game. 204. 209 of that, I should say, was on the power play, but he did have a goal and an assist for the Red Wings. Jimmy Howard would get 13 of 16 before he got pulled. Then Jonathan Bernier would come and he'd get 12 of 15 and then the empty netter. It looked like Howard, I believe, started and played the whole first period before Bernier took over for him. So Detroit suffers the loss to the Blue Jackets. Columbus would jump to 14-8-2 on the year, while Detroit would fall to 10 11 and 3 and back below 500 on Monday. And that would take us to Wednesday. Wednesday night, not rivalry night, just Wednesday night hockey. As the big crew from NBC was in, as the Wings would play the St. Louis Blues, Detroit this time would flip the script. They'd get the hot start and jump to a 3 0 lead over the Blues before the Blues would come all the way back and tie this game up at three, but a late goal. Tyler Bertuzzi with a really good game as Detroit would end up skating away with the victory. Let's get to the recap of this one. No scoring in the first period. Although the Blues did, I believe, go uh, like an 11-minute stretch without getting a shot. Tells you how good that the Red Wings really were in that period. 
Vanek would get his third from Nyquist and De La Rose on a great pass in front by Nyquist. Kind of that fake going around the net, drop it off in front before um, before going around the net. Vanek, short side shot, his third of the year. Nyquist, 15th assist, while De La Rose would get his second assist. And at 4.22 a period two, Detroit would lead 1-0. Andreas Athanasiu would then score his 11th of the year on a Great play by Mike Green, very patiently sending one across. Jake Allen, no chance as Athanasiu would get it, slam it home to an open net in the middle of the ice at the 717 mark. Uh, as we said, Athanasiu's 11th from Green's 10th assist, Vanek's 6th. And then Tyler Bertuzzi would get his first of the evening. And I believe that one was a, the net mouth scramble as he would score from Glenn Denning and Green six assists for Glenn Denning, 11th. For Green and Detroit at 11:04, the second would lead three to nothing, and then penalty troubles and power play goals would come back and just totally turn this game on its head. St. Louis would get back-to-back power play opportunities, and I think they were actually back-to-back-to-back as they would get three straight power play opportunities. They would score David Perron seventh, just a great individual effort. One on four, got in on the four while on the power play, and then just roofed one where Jimmy Howard took away the whole bottom of the net. Perron, though, got it up, sharp angle to make it 3-1. to one. As we said, a power play goal. Peter Angelo got the assist, his seventh of the season on Perron's seventh goal, and at 13-37, 3-1. It was less than a minute later, or excuse me, less than two minutes later, Vladimir Tarasenko would get his eighth goal of the year from O'Reilly. His 15th assist, done his sixth. Another power play tally, a 2-3 to three game. That came at the 15-16 mark, and we'd wrap up two periods with a 3-2 to two game. In period number three, David Perron gets his second of the game from Fabry and Shen. Fabry's second assist, Shen's ninth. And at 8.04 of the third period, the Blues had tied the score to make it 3-3. Three to three. But again, that don't give up, keep going, keep pressing mentality that the Wings have kind of shown all year came in again. Tyler Bertuzzi would get his eighth from Michael Rasmussen at the 13.07 mark. Detroit would lead 4-3, to three, and they would skate away with the 4-3 to three victory and that win, big win, over the St. Louis Blues to pull themselves back to 500. Uh, stats for the Blues in this one. Again, the two goals by Perron kind of jumps out at the page for you. Their leading forward minute getter, Ryan O'Reilly, played 21-23. Braden Shen at 20-13. Meanwhile, defensively, their big defenseman, Alex Pietrangelo, playing 27-34. Just logging a ton of ice time. And only two minutes and 30 seconds of that with specialty teams. The rest of it, even strength. Uh, Colton Perenko was over 22 minutes, as was Joel Edmondson. Um, their... Uh, defenseman Schmaltz played under 10 minutes. Jake Allen would end up getting 27 of 31 Red Wing shots. Meanwhile, Detroit's numbers in this one, um, Jacob DeLaRose would end up being the only Red Wing under 20 minutes. Dylan Larkin would be would net over 23 yet again. Abdelkader over 19 along with Mantha. Mantha, no shots in the game. One giveaway, absolutely nothing on the board for Anthony Mantha. But again, just to give you an idea of how, um, I guess, fair is really the best word to use it. Uh, Andreas Athanasiu gets the goal in the game, has five shots in the game, and ends up playing, of course, two more minutes in the game. And that's that's what you want to see, kind of guys getting rewarded for their ice time, for their effort in the game um, as a 
as getting the job done was Athanasiu, and he sees the higher amount of ice time as a result. Detroit dressed seven defensemen and lost two of them in the game. Trevor Daly went out for a stretch. I believe it was Jonathan Erickson as well went out for a stretch. Um, so that ended up, even though they dressed seven, they ended up finishing the game with just five. Danny DeKaiser would play 25-35 in the game. Nick Jensen would play 23-02. Nobody else over 20 minutes as Green would play 19-26. Goes to show you night in, night out, any given defenseman could be playing any given amount of minutes for this Red Wings team. And um, wow, this just came over the line. I didn't check that whole game. The Caps actually led 5-1. to one. In that game against the Ducks before the Ducks scored five straight. Random side note. We get distracted. I get distracted. If Walt were here, he'd be distracted with me. It's just what happens. It's how we roll. It's cool. So let's get back to Detroit. What happened? Um, in the game against the Blues, again, green at 20, uh, 1926. Then a group of guys clustered around 15 minutes as Erickson would play 15-57. I believe they actually he went out but did return. So check that. Erickson went out, did return. Cronwell at 15-12. And Chalowski played 14-57. Two of those minutes on the power play. Uh, six block shots for Nick Jensen, too. Good, good showing for him. Four shots on goal for Mike Green. Jamie Howard got the start. He got 33 of 36 blue shots. Save percentage of 9-1-7 on the game. And Detroit would skate away with the 4-3 victory, as we said. Shots on goal 36-31 in favor of the Blues, although the Wings had a 10-shot spread, I believe, at one point in that game. So Blues obviously came on really strong in the final 30 minutes of that game after they started getting the power plays, after the Wings got the big lead. Um, St. Louis really shut down Detroit after that kind of a tale of two games. But again, the big thing is Detroit gets the victory face-offs in the game. Detroit 57% of the draws won by them 43 by the blues. Again, the blues power play, getting the job done. The wings penalty kill, not two for three on the man advantage while the blues would, or the wings would go zero for two blues out hit Detroit. Oh, the Blues out hit Detroit 20 to 17. Detroit giving more blocks 15 to 11. And as it's kind of also been a trend this year, five blocked shot, or excuse me, 15 giveaways by the Red Wings, while the Blues were credited with only seven giveaways. So Detroit needings, needs to take care of the puck better. I think that's probably been the common three fat thread. They win faceoffs, but then they give it away once they win it. And that's really been kind of the, the sign of the night here, your sign of the season for Detroit. The victory, though, improved the Red Wings on the year. They got back to the 500 mark as they would go to 11 and 11 on the year, while the loss for St. Louis would drop them to 8, 12, and 3 on the young season. As the Blues in some trouble here in the NHL's Western Conference, they are currently sitting just above the Kings, 21 points in 25 games. They will need to try to get, get, get it going here. Their last time out, they lost on December 1st to the Arizona Coyotes, 6-1. to one. They are just 3-7 and seven in their last 10, which means at one point they were 6-6-3. Six, six, and three. That takes us to Saturday where, I'm not going to lie to you, I chalked it up as a loss. The Wings going to Boston. The Wings do not win in Boston. They lost nine straight at TD Garden. It's been forever since they won there. And how about this? Detroit would get a victory. Let's start in period number one. It didn't start great for them as David Backus would score his second of the season from Domin- or excuse me, from John Moore and Cave. Moore's third assist, Cave's first. And it was one nothing blues. That goal came or excuse me, Bruins as that goal came at the nineteen fifty six mark. In period number two, Detroit would tie it and take the lead. 
Tyler Bertuzzi would get his ninth and his third in the last two games from Michael Rasmussen and Michael uh, Mike Green. It came at the 5.45 mark, and we were locked up at one. Then while on the power play, Dylan Larkin would get his tenth of the year from Justin Ablocator's fourth assist. Uh, Gustav Nyquist having a great year passing the puck, his 16th assist of the year. That came at the 17.36 mark, and it was a 2-1 to Detroit lead. It was at this point, I believe, that we nearly had a full-blown line brawl in this game, and it included Jimmy Howard nearly getting a fight in a fight with Tuka Rask in kind of a wild sequence of events, a delayed penalty upcoming. Um, There was a slash by Brad Marchand to Jimmy Howard. Howard gave a little stick to the back of Marchand. Marchand went after him a little bit, after Howard a little bit. Um, the referees got in the middle of Rask and Howard potentially going at it after the exchange with Marshand. The funny thing is, I think really more, the crowd, <laughs> the crowd really wanted to see the two go because who doesn't love a good goalie fight at any time that you possibly can get one? And this city, I don't know if you can recall, if we can only think of a time. In the city where goalie fights were really, really interesting. Hmm. Well, I can't seem to come up with anything. But the whole exchange occurred um, at the 17-15 mark of period number two. Um, so, yeah, at this point, let's see. It was, it was actually that Larkin would score on the power play. So this led to the Larkin power play goal. Um, and let's actually take a step back. Is in the lineup, Lute Witkowski would get a five-minute fighting call against Nordstrom. That came at the 15-08 mark. And then at 17-15, I beg your pardon, Marshawn would get two for slashing. Howard would get two for roughing. Cave would get two for slashing. Rask would get two minutes for leaving the crease. So that's how Detroit got on the power play. They would cash in, and they would skeet off after two periods of play leading by a score of 2-1. to one. In period number three, the Blue, the Bruins would get the tie as Donato would score his second from Pasternak's 11th, Krug's 12th assist, 531, another power play goal given up by the Red Wings, and it was a 2-2 two two game. It would stay that way until Franz Nielsen would get his first of the season at the 11-53 mark of period number three. DeKaiser, 6th assist, 19th, or 17th assist for Gustav Nyquist, and then at Four, or excuse me, then the fourth goal of the year for Gustav Nyquist. As he would score from DeKaiser at 19.33, Detroit would win a game in their house of horrors, which really, their house of horrors, which has been TD Garden, they had lost nine straight there before getting the victory on Saturday afternoon slash evening. No, I'm sorry. It was a, a, a an evening game. Um, a big victory for Detroit. Detroit, the Bruins had gone 15-1-2 in their last 18 against Detroit. The Red Wings' first win in TD since October 14th, 2013. 
and keeping the good numbers coming, Detroit improved to 11-4-1 in their last 16 after opening the year going 1-7-2 in their first 10, 11-4-1 in their last 16. That's impressive. Although the win does come with uh, two of the big guys out as Chara and Kevin Miller were both sidelined for the St. Louis Blues, two of the big-bodied defensemen for the Boston Bruins. I call them the Blues again. I, you know, it's it's got to just be the end of a weekend that's killing me here. That's just got to be it. Take a look at some of the Bruin, Bo- Bruin, Bruin, Bruin. Eh, we got them all that time. Stats for the night. David Pasternak playing 24-54 in that game, and Brad Marchand 22-14. If Patrice Bergeron were healthy, he probably would have played over 20 as well for the Bruins. That was up front. Defensively, Moore and Krug pace their ice time with Grizzlick. They have Clifton, Loazen, and Carlo, their final three defensemen. Loazen only played 855 as they, again, they are without, as we mentioned, Miller and um, Chara being the big body defenseman. But don't forget, they're also without Charlie McAvoy. They really... Boy, once they can get some of these defensemen back, they will be in a much, much better shape. The Bruins will, although, like I said, they're currently sitting in a wild card position. Rask in 15, or excuse me, would get 23 of 26 Red Wing shots. Meanwhile, for Detroit, looking at their stat sheet, Justin Ablocator would play over 20. Luke Witkowski would only play 554, and 222 of that was killing penalties. Franz Nielsen would kill 4 minutes and 27 seconds of power play time, while Dylan Larkin was out for 338. And Ablocator was over three minutes. All of that penalty kill time. As for actual time on ice, um, Larkin's 22:37 would pace the Red Wings, while Ablocator would be next in line with 20:08. Or uh, Gustav Nyquist taking good advantage of his time on the ice in only 13:58. He would get a goal and two assists for Detroit. Luke Glendening over five minutes of time on the penalty kill and almost 20 minutes of ice time for him. Uh, as we look at other things interesting from that game, uh, defensively, the big minute winner for Detroit was Nick Jensen would play 22-39, including six minutes on the penalty kill. The Kaiser would play just under six minutes and 22 minutes of total ice time. Mike Green would play over 20, while Chal- uh, Erickson and Chalowski were each below 14 minutes of ice time. Four, Jimmy Howard again got the start, got 38 of 40 Bruin shots a 950 save percentage, and a goals against average a little bit above two as he only would play 59 minutes in the game due to delayed penalties, of course. Final shots in, or final totals from the game, I should say. Boston with 40 shots, Detroit with 27. Again, big numbers in terms of face-offs. Detroit winning 63% of the draws, while the Bruins would only win 37%. You can pretty much believe, know, and trust that part of that do to the troubles or the the Bruins playing without Brad Marchand, just one of the best face-off, or Patrice Bergeron, I beg your pardon. Patrice Bergeron, who was out of the lineup, just one of the best face-off men in the NHL, was out for that one. Detroit one for four on the power play. The Bruins were one for six, which I think is actually an improvement for the Red Wing penalty kill to kill off five of six. Uh, the power play 15th, the penalty kill, or the power play 15th, the penalty kill currently 17th at 79.9%. Uh, to give you an idea of where those numbers sit coming into today. Um, hits Detroit out, hit Boston by one. That's impressive. Although with Wikowski in the lineup, even though he only played five minutes, probably expected. The Wings also blocked 
Seven more shots in the Bruins, 16 to nine. And final giveaway numbers, the Bruins with 11 giveaways, Detroit with only six. So the Bruins with 40 shots after losing, only winning 37% of the faceoffs, only taking the puck away six times and giving it away 11. Game kind of dominated by the Bruins. I'm not going to lie. I had a lot of football going on. It was last week of college football. Kind of a sad, 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 sad week is when college football ends, at least in my household. But it was good to be able to flip on and see that the Wings get the victory as we run down, as we ran down the stats for you. Again, the victory for Detroit gets them to a game over 500, 12, 11, and 3 on the year. The Bruins would fall to 14, 8, and 4 on the season. Let's take a look at what's coming up for the Red Wings this week. They play tonight. As we mentioned, they will play Colorado coming into Little Caesars. That is a 7 o'clock puck drop, so about a half hour from now, they will be playing that game um, down at Little Caesars Arena. Um, on December 4th, Tuesday, the Lightning come in. Boy, you almost want to chalk that one up to a loss <laughs> just because we know what the Lightning dove. Although, you know, you beat the Bruins. So maybe you can finally get things going right against the Lightning. That will be, again, Tuesday, December 4th. The Wings will play their third game of the week on December 6th as they will go to Toronto for a 7 o'clock puck drop on Thursday before wrapping up the week, hosting the Islanders again, 7 o'clock on Saturday the 8th at Little Caesars Arena. A four-game week where I tell you, if Detroit could somehow get two, go like a 2-1-1 one, and one in games against Colorado, Tampa Bay, Toronto and the Islanders that would be quite impressive because those are all teams sitting in the playoff picture again Colorado second in the Western Conference's Central Division the Islanders currently third in the Metro Toronto second in the Atlantic and who'd we miss out and Tampa first in the Atlantic so big week if Detroit can get some victories going their way and finish if they can somehow get two victories Preferably, probably the conference victories would be even better. It'd be a big week for Detroit. After this week, just to kind of look at the schedule up ahead, Detroit's going to start to hit the road um, from between December 10th and December 31st because, of course, they get the, the New Year's Eve game at home. It'll just be one, two, three, four home games out of two, four, six, eight, ten, eleven. Four home games out of eleven during that stretch. So three or four at home this week. Then they get the Kings, Ottawa, Florida, and Florida twice at home between the tenth and the sixteenth, or the between the tenth and the thirty first before the getting games at Washington, the Islanders, the Flyers. Carolina, Toronto, Pittsburgh, and Dallas. I guess the good thing about that stretch of games, as you probably heard, only one trip west or out of this time zone, and that is only going to Dallas on December 29th. So Red Wings, the move to the east, really cutting down the travel. But a big week for Detroit. See if they can stay in it. They've gotten some big wins over really good teams lately. Um, we gave you their overall record over the last stretch of games. A lot of overtime hockey for Detroit. But now they will try to hang in there with four big boys, three of them coming in to Little Caesars Arena. Folks, that's going to wrap us up here on In the Box. So happy you could join us here. Please join us next Sunday. We'll recap, take a look at what went on around the NHL. In addition to that, we'll take a look at what went on 
Both around the NHL and what went on for the Detroit Red Wings. Thomas Thomas signing off. Walt hopefully might be with us. Uh, Will be with us again soon. Thank you, Walt, uh, for getting the show going. I'm Thomas. Everybody have a good week, and we will talk to you next time here on In the Box.